everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's Tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline. It has been a busy day here in the NFL. And for CBS Sports HQ, we know the Broncos hiring Nathaniel Hackett as head coach. We have the big Ben Roethlisberger retirement announcement officially. And now more breaking news. The Bears set to hire Matt Eberflus as head coach or Jason Lockenford confirming that news will be the 17th coaching team history. This after they got a new GM in Ryan Pohl. So Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace were let go shortly after the regular season. As for the coaching profile for Matt Eberflus, 51-year-old, first head coaching gig at any level, 17 years an assistant in the college game, Toledo and Missouri, then started his NFL coaching career with the Browns as linebackers coach in 2009 with the Cowboys and then with Frank Reich most recently out in Indianapolis. Places in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstown. Hello and welcome to episode number 35 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am delighted to have a very special show here today. Of course, there are some things going on in the baseball world. There's the Major League Baseball lockout between the Players Association and the league not being able to find labor peace. But each passing day, things seem to be getting better. You know, the reports are that they're making progress and the fact that they've met two days in a row is wonderful. There's also the Baseball Hall of Fame. But the Barroom Network, synonymous with just Chicago stuff and being obsessed with Chicago sports. And of course, before we get to any of that baseball nonsense that's going on right now, we got to discuss the breaking news that's going on here in town. And I can't think of a better person to have this discussion with than the founder, the leader, the absolute man at the Barroom Network. Of course, I'm talking about our guy, Aldo Gandia. Joining us live from the Barroom Network, from the actual barroom itself. Because when I visited, I was like, this is the barroom. <laughs> Welcome, Aldo. Welcome to Crosstown Crosstalk. This is not your first time making an appearance on this show, but it is your first time as a full-time kind of host for the whole thing. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm scratching that off my uh, bucket list because I had that. I want to do a show with Vinny, and then I have another one. I want to do a show with Vinny and Joey and Frank uh, to talk hockey one day. So uh, we're, we're working on crossing off things from my bucket list. I appreciate the invite. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about being here. Absolutely. Do you remember the one time in life that we did a show together? 
Um, yes, uh, that was the uh, Dan and Aldo show, right? Uh, Dan was out, and I called you and said, man, can you come and join us? And we had a hell of a great time, right? It was a lot of fun. It, I think it was the night before the first ever episode. So Bar Down is on Wednesdays, of course, and um, the Dan and Aldo show is on Tuesday nights. And we did it as kind of a duo. We, Dan couldn't make it. We promoted the new show, the new hockey show for the Barroom Network. And then, of course, we talked to the draft. I think the draft mm-hmm. was like a week later. And yeah. we discussed Mac Jones. And I remember talking about Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence and, of course, Justin Fields. We didn't know we'd get Justin Fields at that point in time. Mm-hmm. But So, Aldo, big news in Bears land. Of course, lat- between this show and our last show, Ryan Poles was hired as the new general manager of the team. And today, Polls made a decision. Matt Eberflus is going to be the head coach of the Chicago Bears. We went from Ryan and Matt to Ryan and Matt. What do you think? Well, I got to give you credit for getting the names right because I'm still uh, practicing practicing that in my head. You know, the the similarity with similarities with the names, and then the Eberflus uh, pronunciation is a little tricky for. From my old uh, uh, lips, so uh, <laughs> congratulations on that. My feelings about the uh, the hires is is kind of a wait and see. Now these guys are getting a lot of praise from people who have worked with them, people who have been a part of their organizations, and so forth. It's it's astounding to see some of the great things that are being said. I actually pulled a, a couple of comments here. This is a former player Sean Lee talking about Eberflus, and um, he says uh, he wrote anybody who he said anybody who has been around Flus has known it's a matter of time for him to become a head coach. That's the retired Cowboys linebacker, Sean Lee, who played for him uh, from 2011 to 2017. And then NFL writer over at The Athletic captured something that a lot of people have said. Eberflus is a big culture builder, and that will certainly be an emphasis. He did this with the Colts defense, and it became self-sustaining as players also became part of the effort to set expectations of relentless hustle and playing to the whistle. And so that excites me tremendously. So be forewarned, Eddie Jackson, you're going to be expected to play with relentless hustle. You're going to be expected to play to the whistle. So when there's a wide receiver down, you're going to go over there and touch him and you're going to touch him aggressively. And that's going to be, uh, implemented in practice, and we're going to hopefully see that in games. This this whole you know lack of hustle thing has been going on with the Chicago Bears organization for quite some time. I'm not saying that all 53 guys on the roster were uh, 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 guilty of it, but there were so many times that we have seen you know the ball loose on the ground and and uh, the defenders just looking at it. Remember that Lance Briggs? Uh, so over and over and over again over the years. This has happened, and so if we are truly getting a coach who's going to instill a culture that is going to be true bear football, it's going to be knock the helmet off of somebody when you're hitting them, and if the ball is loose, everybody rush towards the ball, and if if the first bear player that picks it up, you're blocking for him. And so the big question now, of course, is, is who is going to guide his offense? 
Well, that's exactly what I was going to bring up next. Since 2018, in 2018, the Bears had one of the best defenses in team history. And I know that's saying something when you think about some of those teams in the 80s and even the mid-2000s. But that 2018 defense, they had takeaways. They kept the other team from scoring. It was outstanding. And then since then, it slowly but surely started to come back down to earth a little bit. They necessarily weren't bad. I certainly don't think they were bad at any point. They were obviously the least of the worries out of all the uh, different types of uh, teams in football. But then they draft Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. And the focus has been, how are we going to get this team to score points? You'll watch every team that's been in the playoffs, basically except for San Francisco. The final four all have an elite quarterback that is able to drive the ball downfield and score. And then they hire a defensive-minded guy. And there are people out there. I've read it on Twitter and fans and even some people who are in the media, people who are smart people, upset that they chose a defensive-minded coach. When I'm kind of from the camp, hire the best head coach, and then you bring in coordinators to focus on offense, to focus on defense. If you're Matt Eberfus, what are you doing to get this offense rolling? Well, and that's you. You state that correctly. There are, you know, people should be a little bit concerned because the the league has gravitated towards hiring offensive minded head coaches, and there's been some success in that area. But it doesn't mean that a defensive minded head coach can't send out there a great offense. We have seen example after example of that over the last several years, and so. The, the key thing is, is who he's going to bring into his staff. It is likely that he's going to bring in an offensive guy who he is going to say, I'm going to give you complete trust. You know, tell me how you're going to get Justin Fields to be a premier quarterback. Tell me what you need in terms of, you know, players and so forth, and let's get to work. So um, who that guy is, I am positive, absolutely 100% positive that when Matt Eberflus interviewed for the job, he had the names of two, three, or four people. People like Pep Hamilton is is been a popular name uh, being talked about there. And Greg Gabriel, who does a show here on the Barroom Network, is really high on Pep. So guys like that could come in and being be, be given almost carte blanche to run their offense with an emphasis on, cre- on creating the best offense possible, the best environment for Justin Fields to thrive. Because we all know that this team isn't going to go anywhere in terms of going and getting into the playoffs if Justin Fields doesn't take a big dramatic step in season two from what we saw in season one. I have all the confidence in the world that he's going to do it. But of course, you know, when you see the guy <laughs> like basically lead the league in fumbles and some of the mistakes he made, it's like, oh man, what's going on here? He should have progressed a little faster. And we could, of course, blame Matt Nagy and the fact that he is not proven to be not a good developer of quarterbacks, no matter what you think about Mitchell Trubisky. He failed Mitchell Trubisky by failing to put an offense together that was tailored to his strengths. So now we need the new offensive coordinator to come in here and tailor this offense for Justin Fields. Who that guy is, is the next big question, of course. Absolutely. And I think guys like Josh Allen and guys like Mac Jones, they're probably going to go have long, fruitful careers with a defensive minded head coach for at least the next foreseeable future of their career. Mm-hmm. But of course, I got to tell you, I did some digging this morning and I have been told and I've read and I've heard at the same time. So like three different ways of hearing this exact fact. Polls went into his interview saying, I want full control 
of all football operations. Otherwise, I'm getting on that plane and going up to Minnesota. He was hired. Do you believe it for one second? And if you do, what does that mean for the franchise? I totally believe it. I think Matt Spiegel over at the Score Sports Radio was the first one to report this on a couple of days ago. And that really, really endears me to him. In fact, I had a, uh, a sort of a debate. Uh, I got a little emotional with Greg Gabriel when Greg offered up that uh, uh, Scott Poles was going to get advice from Bill Polian as to who the next head coach was going to be. And Greg supported that because he was saying he's never hired a head coach. And I'm like, well, why then Why then bring him in? If you're not going to trust the guy to make the decision on his own, then you've made a mistake in bringing in such a raw candidate who you can't trust to bring in his own head coach. This should not be an arranged marriage. And so if Scott Poles indeed strenuously stressed to the Chicago Bears management team that this was his decision and he was going to make it, I want to give the guy a big, great bear hug because that's the type of general manager I want leading the team that I have devoted decades rooting for. I want a strong-minded, strong-willed general manager who comes in with a vision, explains that vision to the, uh, the entire organization, and then he says, everybody who's not involved in getting this done, get out of the room. We got work to do. And that sounds to me like he could be that guy. And I'm encouraged by, by those, these early reports. And, and I like to hear it too, because as you said, okay, you had that little disagreement with Greg Gabriel about him not making a head coaching hire ever. Someone's got to make their first hire at some point in, in life. And in order to get to that spot, you have to earn a role as a general manager by being an assistant GM or maybe even, you know, working as a scout, all these different things that lead to your eventual status of a general manager candidate. And once you're ultimately hired, that's because you earned the respect and the you have the resume of somebody who deserves to be in that position. And in that position, you should be able to hire your head coach. When Ryan Pace was first brought in, it was so obvious that the people above him, and we've ripped on the people above him on this show, other shows, your show, they were like, okay, well, you're a first-time GM. You're kind of young. Why don't we hire John Fox? Why don't we bring in a guy like that, and he could be your first head coach so you can learn a thing or two? Well, how the hell did that work out for the Bears? So I'm with you, Aldo. I think it's fantastic that this new guy, Ryan Poles, coming over from the Kansas City Chiefs, who – Maybe besides the New England Patriots, Seattle Seahawks, and Pittsburgh Steelers, they're like right there in that top five mix of most successful teams in the last decade. I couldn't be more happy that this guy's a part of the things with that type of mindset. Indeed. The factor asks, um, where to go? Here it is. Uh, don't you guys think it's weird the Bears were interviewing head coaches without even hiring polls? I I was not a, a fan of that particular move. I thought that uh, – uh, Polian should have just focused on the GM hire. He could have gotten this thing done maybe uh, a few days earlier. And then the GM interviewed the head coaches. But from what I've heard is that there was concern in the Bears camp that because there were so many head coach openings, there's now not, there were nine. Now there's there's eight with the hire of uh, of our guy Ibraflus. 
But so they wanted to get a head start and at least talking to people and and getting a sense as to who were the candidates out there, who were the strong candidates. And so when they bring in a GM, they say, hey, we've talked to these guys and so forth, and we really like them. We would like you to interview them, too. That seems more acceptable to me than what I thought might have been going on, which was Bill Polian just wanting a power grab, because there was, those were the reports coming out of Indianapolis when he was general manager and vice president of that operation that Jim Ursay fired him because Polian was taking over so much control of the team that he kept them out of the loop in terms of information. And so you shouldn't do that because look at what happened with Ryan Pace and John Fox. He, he he drafted a quarterback, and uh, John Fox is like, "What what we do? <laughs> we didn't get my guy, Deshaun Watson." And so you, we don't want that, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, type of environment here in Chicago. And in fact, Ryan Pace was basically apologizing for it for the next three years by using the word collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. That was his way of saying, "Yeah, I fucked up at the whole uh, John Fox uh, thing." And and so. I hope that, you know, this is now going to be a true collaboration because hopefully polls and only polls chose Matt Eberflus as his head coach. So Eberflus, he's a defensive minded guy. They have Sean Desai in place as the defensive coordinator, but that doesn't have to necessarily, you know, stay in that way going into the 2022 NFL season. Do you think Eberflus brings in his own defensive coordinator? Do you think he goes for somebody because John decides a three, four base defense. Eberflus is known for being part of the Tampa two and also, you know, different defensive scheme. He likes to make defensive play calls and stuff like that. So does he bring in somebody that's his guy or would Sean decide to start to kind of transform his way of thinking as a defensive coordinator into that Tampa two mold, or do maybe they come up with something entirely different because Indianapolis's defense wasn't too, terrible with Eberflus there running the show. I think uh, some early season struggles with Carson Wentz and then that late week 18 collapse against the Jacksonville Jaguars is ultimately the reason they missed the playoffs. Otherwise, I think they were a pretty good team. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that with the defensive coordinator situation? Well, I'm a big fan of Sean Desai. I think he's ultimately going to be a really good head coach in the National Football League. But I, I don't like, again, you know, telling somebody you should really kind of think about bringing this guy back. He's got to bring in his own defensive coordinator. If he is going to run a 4-3 defense, then he should bring in a coordinator who he knows is going to run his defense the way he wants it done and that they can work hand in hand. If Sean Desai is going to now start rearranging his thinking about what defense to run, that sounds like a Mel Tucker's type situation. One of the worst defenses in Bears history. Maybe the worst. Let's just say it was the worst. Giving up 50 plus points to the Patriots and then going on a bye and then giving up 50 to the to the uh, Packers. I mean, come on. That was that was the worst thing I've ever seen. And poor Mel Tucker, you know, was stuck running Lovey Smith's offense. And so the players were teaching him how to run the offense. That was a disaster. Don't want that again. I would love to see. Eberflus bring in his own guy if they're going to run the 4-3, which I think they can do successfully because Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack are better with the hands on the ground. How many times do, do we just cringe when we're seeing Khalil Mack down 10 yards downfield guarding a tight end or a running back? The same thing with Robert Quinn. These guys feast on eating quarterbacks. 
every down, they should be going forward, not going back. And so if Iberflus is going to bring that type of thinking to the Chicago Bears defense, I am so excited. I'd love to see some of the exotic draft uh, blitz packages that that Desai had a lot of success with. Let's remember, you know, Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn as a tandem, they were like basically had more sacks after five or six games than most NFL teams. That was tremendous. So I'd love to see that continue. Um, but, and the word is, is that Iberflus doesn't like to blitz very much, that he likes to send in four guys and then uh, uh, have the defenders drop back and protect what's in front of them. And that is always frustrating for us Bears fans because here's a seven yard pickup there's a six yard pickup there's a five yard pickup but in today's pass heavy nfl a lot of defensive coaches are thinking that way so the key thing is if you're going to keep uh mac and quinn for 2022 those guys could be uh great at developing pressure on their own along with the defensive tackles and it, we could be seeing something special here we'll see so you think mac and Quinn are going to have basic position changes where they're both lining up on the end of each side. And then if you have, I don't know if they're going to have Akeem Hicks back in the middle, but I mean, if you have one of them each on each side, that could be dangerous. I don't know if Robert Quinn's going to re-break the Chicago Bears sack record again, but if he gets in the mid-teens, high teens, and then Mac is right there with him, the defense could be really good. And we saw in 2018 how elite pressure can relieve guys like Eddie Jackson and, you know, the guys playing in the defensive back positions of safety and cornerback and all that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Would, would you have you? So you're thinking having Mac and Quinn just be these premier defensive ends again? Yes, I really do think that Iberflus can bring this type of defense where he's going to rely and showcase those guys. And let's not forget that they've got some other guys who can play that position as backups to give these guys a break on early downs that may not be a pass uh, passing down. As these guys age, they're going to need you know, to get that blow on the sideline and so forth. And the Bears have that with Caleb Johnson and, and some other young guys that can potentially uh, provide some depth there. Now, you know, this this squad, one of the big overwhelming things about this Bears defense and offense is that th this squad is going to have a makeover. I mean, we're they've only got like 25, 28 starters signed for next season. That free agent list is big. And so this is going to give Scott Poles and Matt Eberflus an opportunity to, to reinvent the Chicago Bears in their mold. And so I'm interested to see what they do. They're not going to give much away in the press conference, although I do hope they'd speak really, really candidly and authentically about what they want to develop as a team. They don't have to tell us names. They don't have to tell us how and so forth, but at least give us fans confidence that the vision is there and that they know how to do it. And by the way, I want to comment on Heidi's uh, 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 mention here. I too, uh, Heidi, am overwhelmed at so many of the negative comments I'm seeing on social media. How do these people know that these are the bad choices? You don't know Scott Poles. You don't know Matt Eberflus. You, you, you may have seen a, a disastrous Colts performance late in the season, but that doesn't identify who Matt Eberflus is as a coach and as a leader. You know, every every coach, the best of them, Vince Lombardi on down, no, George Hallis on down, have had poor games and have had poor seasons even. And so, therefore, you have 
have to be patient on this. You can raise your concerns. I don't. I hate to sound like you know a, a moral cop here, but go ahead and raise your concerns, but don't say that the Bears blew it. How do you know the Bears blew it? This could be the best tandem signing in Chicago Bears history. Let's give these guys a chance. Let's hear them talk first. I remember when John Fox was announced as the head coach, my immediate reaction was, oh, man, I'm not too happy about that. And then when I heard him talk in the press conference, then I was really pissed off. He sounded so old and tired and, and, and uh, like a dinosaur and so forth. But I want to hear these two guys talk. And I bet you, I bet you these guys are going to hit, hit uh, score touchdowns in their initial press conference. They're going to inject some confidence with all of us Bears fans. I hope all the Bears fans, uh, if they don't have to be supportive of the decision, but you know, keep, let's keep the negativity down to at least we we hear these guys in their first press conference. Yeah, and my reaction to that is okay. We all loved the Matt Nagy hire when it first happened. We heard the story about how he was the. The man in charge, you know, he fed Andy Reid Patrick Mahomes. He hand-picked him and said, generational talent, I want that guy. And, you know, that that was a smart move by Matt Nagy. He deserves tons of credit for that. But you can also argue that Matt Nagy, John Fox, and Mark Tressman are the three worst coaches or three of the five worst coaches in the history of Chicago Bears football. These two guys that were just hired know that. There's no way they don't know Chicago Bears history. There's no way they don't know what they're walking into right now. So mm -hmm. I agree with you. The second that they stand up on that podium for the first time as GM and coach tandem, they're going to know exactly what to say, and they're going to know exactly how to start off. I mean, it, there's no guarantee it works out. Of course, there's reason for concern and all that kind of stuff, but it starts with, you know, moving the team forward, go to the combine, um, evaluate these guys. There's no first round pick. Well, that's from the previous general manager. So then in response to that, I have to ask you in the first round last year, you traded up and drafted Justin Fields. Tevin Jenkins fell to your lap in the second time in the second round. What do you do in the upcoming 2022 NFL draft as your first draft of your Ryan polls? Because Ryan pace he drafted Kevin White and then Mitchell Trubisky in his first two drafts. Well, Ryan Poles doesn't have the opportunity to mess up a first-round pick because there isn't one. Mm -hmm. So what what are you thinking for the draft? Is it offensive line? Do you try to build with Tevin Jenkins and see what you got with that? What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the two biggest things that are coming up in terms of reshaping the roster is free agency and the draft. And I am a huge believer that you build through the draft. Unfortunately, Ryan Pace left us a disaster in terms of draft picks. I think I've got here on one of my panels here. The Bears have uh, uh, five picks in the 2022 draft, their own selections in rounds two, three, five, and six, and an additional fifth rounder that they obtained in a trade that they sent, uh, that they got from the Texans for Anthony Miller. So there's not a lot of great draft capital there, but nonetheless, we have seen the Bears have success with middle round draft picks. And that is the everyone that was a part of making those successful middle round draft picks is still employed by the Chicago Bears. So the first thing that Eberflus and Scott Poles are doing is they're meeting with that those all those college scouts and draft directors and so forth, Mark Sadowski, all of those people. They're meeting with them and saying, this is the direction that we want to go in terms of uh, building players. So we want to prioritize these positions. Scott Poles was an offensive lineman. 
and a pretty good, damn good one at Boston College. He uh, uh, was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Bears, didn't make the team, and he immediately thought, you know what, I'm going to change my focus. I'm not good enough to play in the NFL. I'm going to change my focus to being a scout. So he has inherently the knowledge that you win by building a great offensive line. And one of the great things that happened last season uh, after Patrick Mahomes had the, that disastrous for him, disastrous Super Bowl performance, he the, the Chiefs got together and say we got to rebuild the offensive line because of we lost guys by injury, we're losing guys to age and so forth. We got to rebuild it. And they went out, and in one season, they rebuilt that offensive line, and it was one of the best in the NFL this season, and Patrick Mahomes is back to being Patrick Mahomes. So that gives me hope. That gives me hope that that Scott Poles can work some magic and fix this uh, offensive line really, really quickly. And so I think that's where they begin is working on the line of scrimmage. You've got to dominate the line of scrimmage to win in football. If you're pressuring the quarterback, you're going to disrupt passes. You're going to knock them down for losses, and you're going to get great field position. If you're winning the uh, line of scrimmage on offense, you're creating running holes for your running backs, wouldn't it be great if David Montgomery didn't have to break so many tackles like he, he always does and Khalil Herbert now can get even more running room for his uh, electrifying runs. So, and of course for Justin Fields now to have plenty of time to throw and make those decisions and grow as a quarterback and not have to worry that he's going to get his head knocked off. Very interesting. I love the draft analysis, you know, um, what's his name? Matt Eberflus wasn't the only head coach hired today. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, was hired by the Denver Broncos to be their new head coach. And so people start to wonder. Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers. He's now in Denver. Aaron Rodgers is is a fiance or girlfriend. She's uh, from she's from Denver. Yes, exactly. Fiance, yeah. Do Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers peace out of the NFC North division and head on over to the Denver Broncos based on this coaching hire in your estimation? I, I truly believe so. Aaron Rodgers wants no part of what's going on in Green Bay. They are, what, $40, $50 million over the cap. It's going to be very difficult. If they put the franchise tag on Devontae Adams, that's going to be some close to $20 million when they're already $40 million over the cap. It's just going to be such a difficult situation for the Green Bay Packers to bring in the key players from that team, the nucleus of that team, bring them all back and move forward from uh, their disastrous end to, to the season. So I truly believe that if Aaron Rodgers is going to play again, I think there's about this much of a chance that he might retire. Uh, but so he'll he'll look for a new team, and I truly believe that John Elway will lure him over there just like he did Peyton Manning and uh, and the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett. It's Hackett, right? Nathaniel, yeah. yeah. Nathaniel yeah. Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett has a lot to do with that. You're making things very, very comfortable for Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, the, the Broncos are loaded with uh, offensive strength at the wide receiver position. That should be another reason Rodgers will be enticed. Now, he is going to want Devontae Adams on the Broncos. And that can be worked out with a kind of a side sign-in trade. You send one of those high-powered uh, rookie wide receivers to the Packers and a, a couple of draft picks and so forth. Then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Rodgers is at Denver with his wide receiver and his uh, uh a coach. So I, I truly believe there's a very, very good chance that's going to happen. And you can also make a 
kind of a comparison back to the Bears when it comes to Hackett taking over for the Broncos if Aaron Rodgers went there. Hackett wasn't the one calling plays for the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. Uh, That all belonged to our guy, Matt (laughs) LeFleu. And... (laughs) Who did not uh, call plays at his previous job. Exactly. So why is it okay for every other team to have a guy come in and start calling plays for the first time and it actually worked for them? Where our guy comes over from the Kansas City Chiefs after not calling plays, starts calling plays, and is terrible at it. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing with Matt Nagy is I think he called six uh, games in that final season with the Kansas City Chiefs. Five of them were regular season games. He had some success with that. And so that's why they entrusted him in the playoff game to call plays. And it was a disaster because he gave up on the run so quickly. So and then he comes to uh, the Chicago Bears and he, you know, we all know this by now about Matt Nagy. He's, he's a failed NFL quarterback who really, really wanted to be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears more so than he really wanted to be the head coach. It took him a while to kind of figure out, you know what, maybe I should just sit back and oversee the whole thing and stuff. He really wanted to call those plays. And, you know, I I went out to camp a couple of uh, years ago before the pandemic, and I saw him throwing the ball. The guy loved to be the quarterback. That's what he wanted to be. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why he failed at calling plays because he, like a lot of quarterbacks, had very little respect for what the run game can do. One of the great things that I heard uh, this year, now I'm forgetting who it was that said it, uh, one of the commentators, he said that one of the most important things about running the ball is that you're wearing down that defense. You're smacking them. You're winning the physical nature. If you're always pass blocking, you don't get a chance to instill your your manhood on the opponent. And so just for that reason at all, to win the aggression battle, you've got to run the ball. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that that's going to be the new identity of the Chicago Bears offense, that it's going to be a balanced offense, and that when we run the ball, we're going to see guys like Tevin Jenkins. If you watch Tevin Jenkins' uh, uh, tape from college, when he was run blocking, he would take his opponent and drive him into the ground and then just give him a couple more shots on the ground. And the same thing with Larry Borum. And so we, we, I'm just hoping that we get a team that is so physical on the offensive and defensive lines that it's just going to be a marvel for us and, and we're going to be happy. Uh, and and I'm, this is just hoping. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm going to be, I'm going to look at this as the glass half full, not half empty. I agree with you, and I love running the ball. I'm going to buy one of those hats that I think Barstool Chicago sells. It says, run the damn ball. I really love <laughs> one of those. I, I'm i very excited to think about them running it more because I you can't run less than Matt Nagy did. And they have a very good running back in David Montgomery. And then or running backs to me, I wouldn't call them a dime a dozen because playing in the NFL is hard. And not everybody who's a good running back in college could just come to the NFL and be good. But chances are they'd be able to find a good running back in short order. So, you know, running the ball is important to me. Where do you stand, especially with a defensive-minded coach bringing in an offensive coordinator? If you run the ball more, I think that creates better opportunity for play action as well. And that helps confuse defenses and increase your offensive scheme, which could allow you to score more points. Do you have any analysis on that opinion of mine? 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Running the ball is, uh, you know, almost overlooked now because all of the rules have been to help quarterbacks in the passing game and so forth. But you look down and you study the tape, you study what's going on in the NFL. You know what? Passing gets you into the playoffs, but running the ball is going to get you Super Bowls. It's going to get you deep into the playoffs. And so that is a must. I love the fact that this uh, – former defensive coordinator of the Colts is going to come in here and he's going to apply to uh, Justin Fields. He's going to tell him, hey, look at this from the defensive's point of view. I can share that with you. He's actually going to help this quarterback, Justin Fields, develop very, very much. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are upset about Brian DeBall not being hired as the head coach and so forth because he had so much success with uh, the quarterback over there. I, I don't worry about that. You know, Brian DeBall is going, you know, he's he was definitely a consideration, but let's give these guys an opportunity to install this offense that I think is going to be a, a run-heavy offense until Justin Fields becomes the prolific pass uh, thrower, a touchdown thrower, big play offense guy, until he becomes that on a consistent, regular basis, I truly believe that these two coaches, I mean, uh, these two new hires, the general manager and the coach, are going to bring that run-heavy offense uh, and build the team that way. That's the right way to do it, and I really, really am hopeful that that's what we're going to see. Absolutely. Um, the reports were that the interview with Dayball didn't go very well. It was like a very mediocre interview where he didn't know how to put together a staff. And that, to me, the fact that they were able to identify that and see that it wasn't the best interview and is he going to be able to build a staff and all this kind of stuff. And then Eberflus must have impressed them in terms of that. He must have had three or four names in mind on both offensive and defensive coordinator. Maybe he even had the intricacies of stuff like linebackers coach or quarterbacks coach. Hey, how am I going to help Justin Fields take the next step? The interview process they interviewed a lot of guys and I wasn't necessarily a fan of having so many people come in, but once they narrowed it down to the final three that the report claims were the final three, you never know what would have happened if someone like Mike Tomlin or Sean Payton came knocking on the door. But when they got to those final three, it was like, okay, which of these guys is going to be able to help Justin Fields develop, grow the offense. And then hopefully the defense doesn't fall apart as the offense starts to grow. And I'm not going to lie. The hiring of Eberflus for that reason, I'm I'm the half glass full guy right now. Normally, I'm glass half empty when it comes to the Bears. I mean, you know me. Yes, <laughs> I was I was coming into the show today wondering. I wonder if he's going to be pissed off about the hire or something. It would be an interesting talk. But I'm glad that you're looking at this as the possibility that could be a very good positive. And as for Brian DeBow. That was what Greg Gabriel told me about uh, Brian DeBull is that he has a reputation for interviewing poorly. And that shouldn't necessarily be held against somebody when they're interviewing for a job. You've got to look at what they've done, the results and so forth. But it is concerning if you can't communicate what you're going to do, who you've reached out to, to bring with you as a staff and so forth. If you can't communicate those things uh, uh, effectively in your job interview, then what 
what confidence are you going to have that they're going to be able to communicate effectively to all 53 players? Hell, all 90 players who come into camp. You got you to gotta inspire those guys who you know are not going to make the team, but you want them to go out there and practice and play hard to make your starters better. You, you've got to have excellent communication skills. And so while the ball has had a lot of positive results as an offensive coordinator, and I hope he does get a chance to be a head coach if that's what he wants, I still think that communication is so important when you're a leader of men, of, of, of anyone uh, in sports and business and what have you. You've got to be able to communicate effectively, and Brian DeBall apparently does not. And we just got done with a head coach that was really, really bad with communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Nagy would get up on that podium and just sound like a complete clown every single time he talked. Nice man. Incredibly nice man. Good human being. Good family man. I wish Matt Nagy nothing but the best. I really, truly do. But you you brought up that you were wondering whether or not I was going to come in all pissed off. I'm a fool just like every other sports fan. <laughs> the, reason I, the reason I was so mad at the Bears and like talked so much shit about them over the last yeah. year or so since I've been a part of this great network is because, okay, we're on year five. They went 12-4 and four in the first year, and then it's been nothing but mediocrity and failing on Mitch and failing on basically every first-round pick besides – um, Roquan Smith has been a bust. I mean, still the jury's out on Justin Fields. But besides Justin Fields, really the only first-round pick that they hit on was Roquan Smith. But they've had good late-round picks, but the team just doesn't succeed. And Matt Nagy can't tell the difference between an I formation and uh, two tight end set. And, you know, just whatever it is that they're trying to deal with, with that, was it was starting to get frustrating and annoying. And just no change seems to be coming. And they didn't fire him after last season, after that disaster in the Nickelodeon game against the New Orleans Saints. And that's why I was so angry all the time. But like I said just a couple seconds ago, I'm a fool too. You know, I, you know, the new toys. Oh, Ryan Poles. Oh, Matt Eberflus. <laughs> the Colts were good last year. Oh, Poles comes from the Chiefs. They got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. You know, I, you know. So now I'll probably be a little more peachy when talking about the Bears until they, you know, mess it up again. We'll see if that ends up being the case. But as well, of Vinny, right now, if I can interrupt you a second, that's one of the things I think will be important for this new administration to communicate to fans, which is, you know, they they should say. Please trust us. This we we're it's going to be impossible for us to t- turn this thing around overnight. You know, I mean, I, he shouldn't throw Ryan Pace under the bus, but he should say, you know, we've got a lot of people to sign, we've got a lot of young players to build on, and so forth. It's going to take a couple of years for us to be the team that we want to be and know that we can be, as opposed to what Ryan Pace did. Ryan Pace, it wasn't until his second or third season that he started to use the words rebuilding. And that was my complaint with these guys is that we didn't know if they were rebuilding or they were trying to win now. And uh, uh, Chris Ballard, the Indianapolis Colts general manager who was interviewing for the job along with Ryan Pace, he wanted to fire Jay Cutler and start all over. And that was why he probably didn't get the job over Pace. But he had the right idea. It was the best thing. As much as I loved Jay Cutler's arm strength and I loved the fact that he was sacrificing his body for the team, He was not a leader. He was never going to be a winner with the Chicago Bears, and they should have eaten the $40, $50 million that they paid him and let 
him go and then start all over. That would have been the right way. Synchronicity, the team aligned on the direction that they were going. Instead, they floundered around with Cutler as the quarterback, and, and things just got worse with the, with, with the bad selection of Metro Trubisky. Kudos to Mitchell Trubisky he was part of that playoff team, but we knew he wasn't really the, the long-term answer and that Watson and Mahomes were, were better picks. And then one quick point here about Toa says that there, there are reports that Indy's linebacker coach will be coming over with Ibraflus, and I think that is a big thing. Dave Borgonzi is the linebacker's coach for the Colts. Dave Borgonzi is going to be very, very integral in trying to get these linebackers who are accustomed to playing a 3-4 into a 4-3. So you want somebody who knows what the head coach wants out of those linebackers and now can can, uh, bring it to the Chicago Bears so that Roquan Smith can flourish and and play great. And and let's not forget Darius Leonard of the the linebacker with the Colts. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL. That guy is a maniac. In fact, I think that's his nickname. He plays with such aggression and, and such power. And if if we can see Roquan Smith take that next level where we are seeing uh over 100 tackles, uh, ten, uh, 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 five sacks, and five interceptions. That's what you want. Those are the premier stats of a, 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 of a linebacker. If we can see that out of him, that would be outstanding. That would be really, really cool. Yeah, he took a huge step this year, which is really good to see. I want to go back to a point you just made about um, polls going up there, hopefully, and just being honest with the fans and the media and making our jobs easier. I'm fully on board with that. The thing, the thing I always go back to, I go back to Theo Epstein and I go back to Rick Hahn, both of those guys in charge of Chicago baseball teams over the last 10 years or so. When Theo Epstein got to the Cubs, he basically said, we are going to suck so bad that it's going to be miserable to watch. And then they lost a hundred games, drafted Chris Bryant, did the thing, you know, traded for Anthony Rizzo, you know, all that kind of stuff. Same thing with Rick Hahn. We are going to be, terrible this is a full rebuild they even started like it's called the rebuild for the white Sox. theo never really gave it a name the white Sox are in or they were in the rebuild they might make a movie about it one day i love it they they traded chris sale in the middle of his prime to to get two elite prospects who are now key contributors to the team yohan mogata and michael kopak like the bears need to do the same thing be honest with us hey we are in the 2022 season to develop justin fields yeah we might be the betting favorites to win the division going into the season because of the fact that Aaron Rodgers might be out of here and who the hell thinks that the Minnesota Vikings or the Detroit Lions are going to do anything special. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're just in this to win the Super Bowl. We need to develop the quarterback in order to get to that level, and we need to play good defense, and we need to run the ball. Just tell us the truth, man. That's all we want to hear. Yep, exactly. Uh I will have so much more respect and your those examples that you listed with the particularly the White Sox. That's what I want to hear about from this administration. You know, we are going to we're in full rebuild rebuild move. And if we get lucky, the rebuild could happen like almost overnight because it does take a lot of luck. You know, you get the, the player, the right player to drop down to your draft pick, you know, uh, a, a free agents that want to come and play for the Chicago bears and Justin Fields and taking a little less than somebody else. It's going to take a lot of luck for that to happen. And so hopefully luck is on our side and, and, uh, and we can see this rebuild 
take a lot less time than we did like with the Cubs, who, by the way, <laughs> when Theo came in and said, we're going to suck for a while, I didn't think they were going to suck that bad. Holy cow, that was a monster. I mean, I, I it turned me off. I know a lot of uh, uh, season ticket holders, like Hub Arkish was one, uh, who just sold the season tickets because he wanted no part of it, and, and people, Cub fans started to lose patience. Now, they, they were not rewarded, of course, by being there when they won the World Series, but I don't think it needs to take that long. I thought that the Cubs kind of overdid it by tanking so much to try to get those high draft picks. I think you can find gems uh, and and, uh, lower in in the first round and so forth. But nonetheless, uh, that's got to be the plan of attack for this new administration. Absolutely. I think it's easier to go from worst to first in the NFL than any other sport. I would say baseball is a little bit different. You know, you only have a finite number of pitches in your arm and stuff like that. And, you know, things could happen. And the Cubs were telling people to be patient after, uh, I think at the time it was 103 years, like, hey, be patient. Oh, yeah, my grandma's been patient. Now she's dead. You know, like, so with the Cubs was a little bit different. The White Sox, they won the World Series in 2005. So the fans were like, all right, fine, we'll be patient. Mm-hmm. But and the Bears are kind of getting in that Cubs. I know it's not quite a hundred years, but they're in kind of a similar boat. Like the Bears haven't won anything since 1985. They had the one run to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, and that was nice. It was a great defense with Lance Briggs and Hunter Hillenmeyer and Brian Erlacher and you know Peanut Tillman, all the great players on that defense. But and then 2018 with Khalil Mack and you know all those guys doesn't have to be like the Cubs or the White Sox where it took five years. But just tell us going into the draft that, hey, this is what we're doing. We want to do this for Justin. We want to do this for the defense. Let me hear it. I want to hear it all, and I want you to be honest with me. Don't be like Matt Nagy and go up there and give a bunch of half-assed answers that are just a bunch of word salad. Exactly. I hope those days are over where, you know, he gets a question and he takes 10 minutes to answer and he could have answered it in five seconds. Uh, So hopefully those days are over. One thing here about the free agency, which is the next big period of player acquisition, the Bears have an estimated salary cap of $42 million. And so every fan is very hopeful about that. The the issue, though, is is that we mentioned earlier briefly, is that they have a lot of free agents. Uh, So here's a list, according to Spotrack, of the uh, free agents. You got guys like Allen Robinson, Akeem Hicks, Andy Dalton, who we're pretty sure we're pretty sure all those first three names that I mentioned are not going to be back along with Jimmy Graham, probably not going to be back. I would be surprised if, if Jermaine Ifedi is back next season and on and on. There's some big names, starters who have been a part of this squad, uh, the Bears squad for the last year, two years, three years. And so we've got to replace those guys with less expensive options and, Making a big free agent signing is going to be tricky uh, unless you can find a player who is going to defer money towards the 2023 season. It's going to take some uh, tinkering with the with the salary cap, but there's a big, big, big job ahead for Ryan Poles to to get some free agent signings here that are going to uh, help uh, his new head coach uh, succeed and uh, and bring some excitement to uh, Bears fans. Absolutely. I saw someone in the comments ask us about Allen Robinson, asking us if we would bring him back if he really wanted to come back. Um, my thought on that is uh, if he really wants to come back and he's he appears almost have an interview with them, like you did with the head coaches, like if he appears to be motivated and you know maybe put it in bonuses in his contract where, hey, if you catch this amount of balls, you'll 
get this amount of money. Hey, if you have these many, this many receiving yards, you'll get X amount of money. If you have this many touchdowns, you'll get X amount of money. So then maybe he'll be a little more motivated to go out there. No franchise tag or anything like that. You know, when people get franchise tagged, if they don't want to be there, it's almost like, okay, I'm playing here because I have to, not because I want to. I should be a free agent right now. Right. Well, if Allen Robinson is committed, I do believe he doesn't have breakaway speed. But he certainly has ability to win one-on-one battles for footballs. Mm -hmm. And so if Justin Fields needs somebody to join Darnell Mooney or maybe somebody that they draft that turns out to be a a pretty good player, I I hear that this is going to be a pretty good wide receiver draft. Um, Yes, it is. I would consider bringing Allen Robinson back if the price was right and if the motivation was truly there. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Here's what I would do with Allen Robinson. I would call Justin Fields. Justin, what do you think? I mean, you guys did not have a connection last season. You know, do you think you can establish one? Because we've talked to him and we think we can work out a deal, but we're not going to work it out until you tell me that he can be your number one A receiver along with Darnell Mooney. If you feel uncomfortable about it, here are some other options that we can pursue. I would love to get the quarterback involved in a decision like that. Not so much, you know, people are saying is is, uh, Justin Fields going to have a a role in making the decision on the offensive coordinator? Uh, You know, no. He's not. He doesn't know anybody. He's not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he, he has not earned that uh, correctly. Now, I would like to get his opinion on what the type of personality that he would like because during press conferences this past season, he basically took a jab at Matt Nagy saying, you know, when he talks in the headset, you know, he's, he's very excited because he's look, overlooking all these other things. And the offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, was much more calm and he really appreciated that. So, Perhaps then you're looking for an offensive coordinator who is is very calm under stressful situations and can talk to him. That's all I want from Justin Fields in that decision. But in terms of his receivers, yeah, I, I would definitely – his opinion on Allen Robinson I think should weigh heavily because uh, uh, you want to create as – great an atmosphere and environment and support system for Justin Fields as possible, meaning with, with the players he's playing with. Absolutely. I just hope he's honest, if yeah. anything, because Allen Robinson, big name, good good player in his career. This year wasn't great, but, I mean, there was a point where he was hovering around being a top 10 receiver. If not 10, he's, he's 11 or 12. You know, I know that used to be a hot debate, like where does Allen Robinson rank in terms of the best? He's not Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. He's not Julio Jones in his prime. He's not Mike Evans, or he's he's not even Chris Godwin, like one of those guys. But if he can be, maybe he can be a good number two. And I I ultimately think Mooney is a really good number two on a really good team, and it's up to the Bears to go out there and find a number one. But you know, you got to get Justin weapons. I I'm, I don't know if I'm out on Cole Komet as the tight end of this team going forward. He was awesome at Notre Dame. He was worthy of being a second round pick based on his collegiate resume. How much was it? Matt Nagy not utilizing him the right way. He he seemed to not like using the running back and tight end the way that most teams use the running back and tight end. And once again, how many times are George Kittle and Travis Kelsey going to have to be two of the final four tight ends for people to realize how big of a position that this is? I mean, San Francisco won the game by getting into field goal range thanks to a real – Jimmy G only completed 57% of his passes. He probably had the worst playoff win in the history of the sport, but he got the playoff win, which is something the Bears certainly can't ever say. He did it by hitting George Kittle for that – I think it was a 16-yard completion. I mean, guys, 
a good tight end is pivotal in today's NFL. We see it so much with every team. And, you know, Joe Burrow has Jamar Chase as an elite wide receiver that he has chemistry with. Like, you need weapons for some of these young quarterbacks. You're you're absolutely right. And one last kick in the nuts to Matt Nagy before before we put that away. You know, uh, uh, in that beautiful article written by Adam Johns and Kevin Fishbane in the Athletic, they, from reliable sources, they got information that Mitchell Trubisky was pleading with the Bears coaching staff to get the tight end and the running back Cole Komet and David Montgomery more involved in the offense. This was back when uh, Trubisky was being asked to, you know, become Matt Nagy's dream of a quarterback. And, and so, you know, how, how ridiculous is that the, the tight I am quarterback's best friend. In fact, in the NFL, he's the quarterback's best friend, period. You know, uh, you see what Rob Gronkowski has done for uh, Tom Brady's career. Now, Tom Brady would be a great quarterback no matter who is tight end with, but that combination is, is illustrious. And so the fact that they did not put an emphasis on having uh, a, a, a building a chemistry with Komet and, and Trubisky at that time was ridiculous. And then now with uh, Justin Fields, it, it took them six, seven, eight games before F- uh, Fields was being fed plays where Cole Komet was the primary first option on pass plays. It's ridiculous. And it took so much time to convert the offense from being a never run offense to at least trying to run and establish something. So hopefully those, those days are in the past. Let's talk to Justin Fields. Let's talk to him about A.A. Rob. Let's get, uh, let, let's call. And I, one of the first calls that Eberflus should be having is with those two, two running backs. And he should be telling them, be ready, guys, because we're going we're gonna to hitch up this wagon and you guys are going to be pulling it, man. Behind a, a, a revamped offensive line, you guys are going to have big seasons. I'd love to see them both get 1,000 yards rushing or 1,500 yards combined offense pass catching and, and receiving eat for each of those guys that would be the 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 core of an outstanding offense for the bears absolutely and that was outstanding chicago bears discussion and analysis based on the new hires of the head coach and gm and our thoughts on what they need to do we touched on the draft a little bit what are they going to do in terms of you know free agency they got a lot of free agents coming up but there are some teams that the bears are striving to be like that are about to play on Sunday afternoon and evening. And of course, I'm talking about the Cincinnati Bengals heading on over to the great Kansas City to play the Chiefs. And of course, the Battle of California's top two NFL teams right now, the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. What are your thoughts on each game? You could start with the Bengals versus the Chiefs. Who do you think is going to win? Well, I'm a big fan of Patrick Mahomes and the way this team is playing right now. They seem to have everything going. I find it hard to believe that uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals can upset them. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, um, but to me, the Chiefs should win fairly easily on that. I think those four uh, games on this past weekend was the best that we're going to see out of uh, playoff football this season. I don't think any of these two games coming up is going to match the excitement level. um, But uh, Patrick Mahomes is just firing uh, Tariq Hill. You know, the whole, the whole chiefs offense is just running so well. And the defense is, is playing almost mistake free football. So I think that they're going to Joe, Joe Burrow is going to have him and, um, um, 
what's his name from uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback? Josh Bill. Allen. Josh Allen. Those three AFC quarterbacks and Justin Herbert, four, four, four quarterbacks, those four guys are going to have so much fun competing against each other over the next 10 years. They're, they're, those guys are going to have historic playoff battles and so forth. But I think Burrow is maybe one year away from you know really being a true competitor along with you know in that scale with with Mahomes, so we'll see about that. Um, I want before I answer the second part of your question, I got to ask you how you feel because I know you and your brother are huge Tom Brady fans. How did you feel with that upset uh, and Brady uh, being ousted from the playoffs? Well, it was definitely interesting because I also I couldn't watch Matthew Stafford in Detroit and believe that that level of talent couldn't get it done if he was on any other team. I mean, maybe there are a couple exceptions, like the Bears, unfortunately. Maybe if he were on Washington during the really tough years there, or you know, Tampa Bay was bad for a while, but even Tampa Bay proved that they can get it done when the right person comes in. Like, going to the Rams had to be a dream come true for Matthew Stafford. And so is – Sad as I was that Tom Brady went down, they were very injured and guys dropping passes in the first quarter and Tom's getting frustrated. And there's a little bit of a whisper that things started to get lackadaisical down there in good old Tampa. It didn't have the intensity that, you know, the, the people in Tampa Bay weren't able to follow the intensity that Tom Brady brings every single day for longer than a year. And that started to weigh down on the whole team. So yeah, it was sad, but it also wasn't as surprising to me. I think the Rams are outstanding. And when Cooper cup made that catch to, you know, advance the Rams into field goal range, I was like, okay, this game's over. Like Tom, Tom's going to lose. He doesn't win the Super Bowl every year. Otherwise he'd have 23 of them by now. He's only got seven, only got seven. Right. But <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so it, it was tough. You know, I hope Tom doesn't retire. Part of me thinks he's going to, but yeah, we'll I, see. I got that feeling too. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I think you know, a lot is going to have you know, um, a lot of his decision making is of course going to be based on what his family wants him to do because I think he's at that part of his career where his wife is probably saying, "Okay, enough is enough. I'm worried that you're going to get dinged in the head." You know, it, it's it's so dangerous to play this game of football, and uh, this guy has done it all. What else has he got to prove? So he may he may retire. Um, I was I was a, a bit surprised that they were upset by the Rams, but at at the same time, I have uh, so much respect for Sean McVay and what he's been building there. And Matt, Matt Stafford, I know Don Burr, our resident Detroit Lions uh, barroom visitor here, uh, he, he's he's not a big fan of Matt Stafford. Greg Gabriel, he scouted him at, what was it, Georgia when he played? Not a big fan of Matt Stafford. But I always thought that Matt Stafford played with a lot of heart. I mean, he just – he, he led the team, uh, the Lions, to so many fourth-quarter comebacks. He never had a running game uh, that he could rely on. He never had the offensive genius. Also, you know, some people might say, yeah, he, he had this coach or that coach. But I, I, I think that he, like you just said, he was so lucky to go to the Rams and have all of that talent around him. He's just primed to uh, advance to the playoffs. So I think it's going to be the Chiefs and the Rams and what should be a really exciting Super Bowl game. But it's going to be the Chiefs Chiefs winning this whole thing for the second time in three years, in my mind. Wow, that's very interesting to hear. I do believe the Bengals roster 
is going to hold Joe Burrow back here against the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, getting hit, getting sacked nine times in a game, that just can't happen at any point in any season for any team, for any quarterback. But he's made the most with what he's got, and that to me tells how I feel about Joe Burrow. I do think the Chiefs are going to win this game, Patrick Mahomes has overcome everything that was thrown his way early in the season. They, he's only lost one game in November, December, January in his entire career. Wow. And, you know, so I think very highly of the Chiefs. I do believe they will win that game. I want to pick the Rams. I think the Rams are a better roster. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's nothing about your analysis of the Rams that I disagree with. I just see the San Francisco 49ers pulling off a crazy kind of upset win. They're – I want to say, are they six and zero against the Rams in the last in Jimmy G's career, or right. with the 49ers or something like that? Yeah. They had to refrain from letting San Francisco residents buy tickets to SoFi Stadium because Jimmy G was using cadence in his counts, and Matthew Stafford was calling it with a silent count at home. So I think some of that kind of stuff is going to come into play. And so I got a 49ers Chiefs rematch from the Super Bowl two years ago. I do agree, though, that the Kansas City Chiefs will win their second Super Bowl in the last three years. He might start to, like, crawl into that three, four, five range, and then we start wondering if he's ever going to catch Tom late in his career, like a Tiger Woods-type situation, trying to catch the Masters record late in his career. Like, I think something very similar is developing here with uh, Patrick Mahomes, but I will give my respect to Matthew Stafford. I I am not even slightly surprised that in his first year away from that cesspool known as the Detroit Lions that he gets to the NFC Championship. It's almost like in year one of Tom Brady joining the seven and nine bucks, they magically you know make the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. I'm not calling Matthew Stafford Tom Brady by any means. He's not even close, but he's been a very good quarterback in his career, and this solidifies it for me that now that he's on a good team, he actually has some weapons. He has a coach that knows what he's doing. You know, he's not – these offensive coordinators are running good plays for him. Sean McVay's awesome. I can't I can't say enough positive things about Matthew Stafford right now. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, 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 somebody – Tony the Bod Boss is saying, Don Burr, the Lions fan, is about to cry. It is what it is, Don. All the great things we're saying about Matt Stafford. You're absolutely right, and and you make some really good points there about the 49ers. I mean, they are a a special team, just loaded with talent. How can you not like Kyle Shanahan? Yeah, he's made some bad decisions at certain times in in football games, but overall, that is a leader of men, an innovative thinker. He's, He's such a great coach. Uh, you know, I, I almost think that if I could have had my co- my choice of any coach, even if he was employed by another team, I probably would have picked Kyle Shanahan uh, as the head coach of the Chicago Bears because I, I respect that guy so much. And so maybe that game is going to be closer than I, I anticipate, or maybe even the 49ers are going to upset the Rams. And, and I, I haven't looked at the odds. I don't even know if that would be an upset, but uh, I, I, at the very least, you know, typically when it comes down to these football games where my bears are not involved, all I want is great drama. You know, now I, I, I'm gambling a little bit now, nowadays. And so that might influence, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so that might influence, you know, my, how I go into the game, but basically I want to just see a, a fabulous football games. Like I did this past weekend. Yeah. I'm rooting for great drama too. At the end of the day, I think, I kind of think we will get it. I think Joe Burrow is going to, 
he's going to make people wonder, and then Patrick Mahomes will ultimately pull away in the end. This California game, I call it the Frankie Mueller Bowl because Frankie Mueller called the 49ers frauds. He called them for frauds after their 10-win season. Then he called them frauds after their 10-win season and playoff victory. And then he finally conceded after a 10-win season and two playoff wins that you're starting to sound kind of funny calling them frauds that now that they're one of the final four teams. And then he had the same issues with Matthew Stafford going into the season and even after the postseason. I'm like, dude, how many times does he have to throw for 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns for you to see that he's actually a really good player? And once he's on a team that doesn't have a disaster of a coach and a disaster of a defense and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I don't know if I'm going to be betting over-unders in this game. I kind of like the over in the Rams 49ers game, but I also kind of like the over in the Chiefs Bengals game. But then again, the over in the Chiefs Bengals game might favor the Bengals. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I'm with you. And the funny thing I'm seeing in these comments from Don just saying that the the Bears hired a coach that the Colts fans ran out of town. Uh, how did the Colts run Eberflus out of town? He was going to be their defensive coordinator next year if he didn't get high. They had a good yeah. year. Like I just a comment just makes no sense to me. I think it's kind of funny. None. <laughs> Eberflus was, you know, I think part of the re- uh, reason why the search for the head coach didn't extend a little bit longer because I think they were going to give um, an opportunity for Ryan Poles to interview maybe another candidate or two, maybe Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City. But I think that the reason they said, you know what, this guy is such a hot commodity right now. Let's not risk losing him with what now still seven uh, uh, coaching jobs still open. Let's not risk losing him. We all agree that he knocked it out of park in his interview. We all agree that he is a leader of men, and we all agree that he's had success everywhere down the line as a coach. I mean, look at this. Uh, I have here uh, – Let's see right here, his his resume. I mean, everywhere that he has worked his way up, he has had success. He started at uh, uh, University of Toledo, worked his way up. That second column, he went to Missouri as the defensive coordinator, had a lot of success there that brought him to the Cleveland Browns as their linebacker coach. The Cowboys spotted him and said, we want you. And he then was promoted by uh, the Cowboys to be their linebackers coach and passing game coordinator that's both sides of the, uh, of the football i mean that says volumes for how much they appreciated his football smarts he was working with the defense and the offense and then they gave him full, full reign of of the defense since 2018 and so that to me is an impressive resume uh so i don't think anybody was running Eberflus out of town and if they did then they're stupid yeah <laughs> Then then they're dumb, very dumb. One thing I did not know, I was looking at his NFL resume when editing some articles for DeWindyCity.com earlier today, mm-hmm. and I did not know he's from Toledo. And I know my guy Skyler is in the chat here. Oh, We're yeah. both, we, we share season tickets to Northern Illinois football, knowing that Eberflus comes from the MAC. Is just awesome. so exciting. MAC pride. Let's go, Toledo. You know, it's funny because, like, when you're a fan of a Mac school, you don't you don't hate your rivals as much as you do if you're a fan of an SEC team or you just want to see the Mac succeed. Like go Mac, go. You know that's why I kind of had always a soft spot for Big Ben coming from a Mac school. And you know 
kind of pissed me off when Antonio Brown started to become a Jag because he came from a Mac school. We yeah. love Kenny Galladay. We're, we're big Mac guys. So shout out Matt Eberflus coming from some Mac school. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I've, attended, I've attended the Mac title game with Skyler this past uh, – I can't remember if it was technically November or December, but it was just one of the funnest weekends ever. If you're not into Mac football, I highly, highly recommend it. It is outstanding theater. Well, let's make sure that we get over to see an NIU football game. I'd love to attend with you so you can Absolutely. tell me who's on the squad and educate me on that. I, I would love to do that. Maybe we uh, you know, maybe we start following Mac football here in the barroom. This sounds like it would be a fun topic to to go over, at least with some specials and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe like once a month we could have like Maybe me and my season ticket crew could come up with a show or something like that. That'd be kind of fun. Awesome. I'd love that. Yeah, I'd cool. love that. And by the way, speaking of college football, tonight is the season premiere of Draft on Tap with Neil Stopchinski and Danny Shimon. I'm also going to make a quick little appearance there, but it's basically them talking about these new hires and also talking about what these two guys might be looking at in terms of potential draft picks. It's the first show of the season, so it's going to be a lot of general topics. And then as the week go on you're going to get very uh in-depth scouting reports of players that those two guys think that could fit into the chicago bears new offense and defense absolutely you know i've met neil twice in my life one time was him picking up a cheesecake from joey does dessert oh, and cool. the, the other was you know the the barroom network party that we had over the summer I, that guy I, I talk highly about our talent all the time. This guy right here on the screen, Larry Golden, outstanding basketball analysis. I get real down and nerdy when I'm listening to him break down the Bulls. I good? feel the same way about Neil Stopchinski with his college football analysis and the draft. And, oh, hopefully they bring me on a show. I want to talk some college football with that guy. Mm-hmm. Ah, man. Yeah, that would that would be awesome. We've got a one of the things that people keep telling me, man, why don't you do more shows or you get a lot of the barroom people together and so forth. I really, really enjoy that. So we got to we got to figure out a way to make that even if it's not weekly, just have it every once in a while when everybody can get together. Yeah. So I'll, I'll work on that. Maybe a 2022 NFL draft extravaganza Ooh. where like each person can. Because we all we all have our different niches. Like I do the hockey and the baseball, and you know, Laro has his um, the foot or the basketball stuff, and you know, Neil has the football. And there are people that do you know Peggy Kaczynski's great show. Mike North always has something to say. It's always funny. Like, but we all love football. We all have our other things, but at the end of the day, we all come together during football season. So I think it'd be kind of cool if like we had a show where. We all come in, hey, Vin, what are your thoughts on the White Sox? Okay, well, Luis Roberts going to be healthy this year. That's awesome. And then after you give your little analysis about your niche, then you go into talking about the draft and football and all because we all relate to that after Absolutely. hearing about So I think that kind of stuff is cool. And speaking of baseball, Aldo, mm-hmm. really quick before we end this great show that we had here today, the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame did announce their um, – inductee for the year 2022 it might be the last time we have an inductee for a while because Mm -hmm. if you look at the ballot for next year there's really not anybody that was close that isn't off the ballot david ortiz is in as the one lone representative of major league baseball's hall of fame david ortiz is in notably barry bonds and roger clemens are not and after 10 years of being on the ballot they are 
off the ballot now going forward. The next time they can be elected is from the, I want to say it's the all-time great committee or something like that. There are committees that elect people later in life. Like we just saw Minnie Minoso go in many years after he has passed. And David Ortiz failed the drug test and Barry Bonds did not. Exactly. And Sammy Sosa never failed. Yep. Yep. Now, now, so I have a theory with talking about the hall of fame and I told this to, I went on a podcast last night as a guest um, and talked about the hall of fame, talking about the hall of fame in baseball is like talking about politics or religion. Like, you know how people say at the Thanksgiving table, Hey, no one wants to hear that you love Trump or no one wants to hear that you hate Trump at freaking Halloween or uh, Halloween freaking Thanksgiving. It's the same thing with the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. It just starts arguments and we all hate each other and we want to fight each other. Well, I'm not trying to get you know hostile with anyone, but I am a firm believer mm-hmm. that the Baseball Hall of Fame is supposed to tell the story of the greatest players that ever played the game. I believe Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and A-Rod, for that matter, are some of the greatest players who ever played the game. If you want to put an asterisk next to their name, if you want to put a steroid wing in the Hall of Fame. If you want to do, there are many people who did steroids that are in the Hall of Fame. I just want to let every single person know that. And mm-hmm. Babe Ruth was a drunk womanizer, but everybody loves that guy. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to me why we wouldn't at least acknowledge them. I'm not sure Sammy Sosa, Sammy Sosa might, but Mark McGuire, he doesn't have the stats to be in the Hall of Fame when you take the juicing into consideration. Mm-hmm. I think you can use it as a hit on why not to put them in, but there are some people who are so good that, like, it doesn't matter. Barry Bonds and A-Rod were one of them. I think Sammy Sosa can make an argument. Roger Clemens could absolutely make an argument. But And then there's, of course, the character clause with somebody like, you know, um, what's his name? Kurt Schilling from the Boston Red Sox. Like, Kurt Schilling, everybody hates his politics, and he's kind of a jackass off the field. He's mean to everyone. And, you know, I think people who know me know my stance on all that kind of stuff that Schilling talks about. I'll just, I don't like Kurt Schilling as a person. I'll leave it at that. But Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer. He's got Hall of Fame numbers. I mean, what are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. He's one of the biggest jackasses in the history of human existence. Mm -hmm. But he had an ERA that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So I don't know where you stand on the whole thing. I love Big Poppy. I'm happy he's in, but Bonds and Clemens should have joined him. And ultimately, A-Rod should eventually get in, too. Totally agree. I mean, if you're going to start playing moral cops for who's in the Hall of Fame, then start taking down the plaques of a lot of players that are there. Ty Cobb, for instance, was a notorious racist. I mean, this guy was scum, absolute scum with how he treated people of color. He was such an asshole. He was such an asshole that they made fun of him in Field of Dreams. You might remember Ray Liola playing Shoeless Joe Jackson said, Ty Cobb wanted to come back, so we told him to stick it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they even make fun of Ty Cobb's asshole self in Field of Dreams, the movie about God and love coming back and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, yeah, I love it. Idea. I love it. So yeah, all of these players who have had you know questionable uh, personal lives or have. Uh, done some steroid use, you know, that needs to be forgiven. I don't care if it's an asterisk. I don't care whatever you do. The fact of the matter is that these guys were headline makers and they deserve to be in. Just so happens that last night, uh, late last night, around 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, I'm watching, changing the channel and, and East, East, uh, the ESPN show E60 had a feature on Bonds and went over his entire career. And I said, you know what, I'm going to record this in case I fall asleep. I, 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 before you knew it, the credits were on. I just was so sucked into 
the story of his career is phenomenal. I mean, this guy had Hall of Fame numbers even before he started taking steroids. Now, what happened is he started taking steroids because Sosa and McGuire were doing it. He goes, you know what? I could hit that many home runs. Where's the steroids? And he took the steroids and he did. He out outclassed them in terms of home runs. Now, he treated people from the media poorly, but he also as that E60 uh, documentary correctly points out, there were a lot of media people who just didn't like his attitude about it. The fact that he was, you know, uh, kind of very, very confident themselves, had a big ego, whatever. And there were no members in, in Pittsburgh at the time. Uh, there were no members of the media who were Af from African-American descent who could at least identify with some of his life struggles so that it can tell the story from his point of view. And instead, it was just an antagonistic situation. So he had no assistance. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that Barry Bounce was a nice guy. Absolutely not. I saw enough in that show to say, yeah, the guy was a dick, but the guy definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And everybody uh, from that uh, steroids era deserves special consideration. And guys like Sosa and McGuire and other steroid users should be there, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There are people who, like you said, he had a Hall of Fame career. It's Major League Baseball's fault that Barry Bonds did steroids anyway. Because there was the lockout in 94 that canceled the entire season. Nobody gave a shit about baseball anymore. And then, okay, how do we get it back? Well, how do we make baseball more exciting? What's the most exciting play in baseball? Home runs. And McGuire and Sosa did their thing. They appeared to be better than Barry Bonds for a couple years. And he's looking at them going, I'm better than these guys. It's so obvious that they're, they're doing something. And so in order to make it so known, so obvious that he was better than them, he started taking the performance-enhancing drugs. And another thing about performance-enhancing drugs, these people that think that anybody could just take performance-enhancing drugs and then go hit 700 home runs, you still can't hit a major league fastball, mm -hmm. you know, to Pluto with just because you're taking steroids. It doesn't affect your eyes. It mm -hmm. affects your body. It helps you stay. It helps you feel younger. It helps you grow muscle quicker. What steroids do? Joey explained it to me. For those who don't know, my brother's big health nut and Mr. He's probably at the gym right now putting weights on the <laughs> And he's like, what steroids do is they help your muscles heal quickly. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the gym and lift weights, you tear muscle, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't lift weights every single day because if you tried, your arms would turn to mush. You can't, you wouldn't literally be able to lift it. What steroids do is while you're sleeping, living your life, they repair the muscles quickly so that when you go back to the gym, it doesn't hurt to keep lifting every single day. So you're able to get stronger and stay more youthful longer. And, you know, it affects people emotionally and stuff too. So that that's kind of where I'm at with the whole steroid thing. I, I can't believe that hey, some of these people are turning in ballots blank it's just it's crazy to me it's nuts and i i what when you said major league baseball is to blame you're so right about that and it irritates me that bud selig is in the hall of fame and he was the main culprit because he turned his back on that he he saw what these steroid users were doing they were bringing the game back after that strike alienated so many fans in fact i was one of those fans i was so upset 
about that strike. Uh, I forgot what year it was, um, but it, it was like, well, if you guys don't care about, you know, giving me baseball in my summertime, when you guys come back, I'm not going to care about, th-. but it was, it was McGuire and Sosa that brought me back to the game. It was McGuire and Sosa that put a big lump in my throat from every game where I was watching that great challenge between the two of them. Yes, they cheated, but it was Major League Baseball that allowed them to cheat. And so if you are going to uh, just blame those players on that and not blame Bud Selig, then shame on you, whoever is in charge of the Baseball Hall of Fame. That is criminal behavior. And Bud Selig's also in the Hall of Fame. Yep, exactly. I didn't know. I didn't know Joey was watching while I was making fun of him for being. <laughs> I honest, that honestly makes me really happy, man. When we hit in the gym, man, I want to hit the gym. Half the people that take steroids still look like shit. I can hit a baseball ten times better than a random schmo who would start taking steroids. I know that for a fact. Now, the only thing I will say. There are people, and I'm not naive. There's a chance that these guys did something, but. Nobody ever really accused Paul Konerko mm-hmm. of doing any sort of performance-enhancing drugs. And I think the statistics and his physical appearance reflect that. Absolutely. He was always slow as shit. He might be the fast, the slowest athlete that I've ever seen play any sport ever. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. I honestly think the statue of Paul Konerko at Guaranteed Rate right Field can run the bases faster than actual <laughs> Paul Konerko. That is the slowest man I've ever seen. <laughs> Why... Could we give him maybe a little extra boost in the voting, though, knowing mm-hmm. that he hit 480 home runs instead of five? He didn't get to 500. That probably ultimately what knocked him off the ballot so quickly. He was facing guys like Roger Clemens, though, mm-hmm. and, you know, being putting up similar numbers to some of these guys. I, I could also see that side of the argument as well, but I I'm excited about David Ortiz making it, but I can't say I'm excited about the way the rest of the ballot went for Major League Baseball. I think it's a clown show, and honestly, the it, it's not an accurate Hall of Fame. You're absolutely right. One of the things on my bucket list, now that I've scratched off uh, being on a show with you, co-hosting a show with you, uh, is that uh, I've always wanted to go to Cooperstown and visit the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I know when I go, based on what a lot of people have told me that I'm going to be a little disappointed that because of the size or what this, or, you know, whatever it is. And, but I'm also going to go in there with the lens of how can we improve the baseball hall of fame so that it accurately describes the history of the game. It should not be just, you know, these are the famous people that we deemed they were famous and need a plaque here. It shouldn't be that. It should be a thorough history of this 100-plus-year beautiful sport that takes great athleticism, great thinking, great strategy, is played in distinct ballparks throughout the, the United States of America and, and Canada. It, 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 it's su- such a special sport and the baseball hall of fame should figure out a way now i'm again i'm saying this without without having been there but should figure out a way to be so inclusive with their storytelling about this uh, great tapestry of of sport that is named named baseball i can't wait to get there and um, maybe do a little report from there and share my observations so if you and your brother are ever headed over to cooperstown please let me know i might tag along Absolutely. We want to do, and I agree with your point completely. That's part of the reason I wanted to do this show. Of course, we're talking Cubs and White Sox most of the time when it comes to baseball because the Barroom Network is a Chicago-planted enterprise. But 
I do want people locally to appreciate the game more, and maybe people from other states and countries can even hop on in and join the baseball discussion. I'll talk about the Oakland Athletics. Last week I had a guest to talk about the Texas Rangers. You know, I'll talk about all these teams. I'll do what it takes. The game is so awesome, but the people involved sometimes, the people from many, many years ago, like ripping on Fernando Tatis Jr. for swinging at a 3-0 and hitting a grand slam, or, you know, your mean Mercedes being fun and the other team throwing at him as a result of it, or, you know, stuff like Bryce Harper, people hating Bryce Harper because he's got some long hair and a cool bandana. Like, what are we talking about here? That's why basketball and football are so cool and so popular. And there's the same issue in hockey. The two sports I do shows for are the reason I do that is because I'm going to sit here and try and make it cool to be a fan of those sports because when you're playing them and when you're watching them at their best, they're just as good as football and basketball at their best. I hate when people, hey, Vinny, what's your favorite sport? I don't have one. I love them all. I'm okay. still waiting for Laro to have me on his show so I can learn a little more about basketball. I'm trying to see as much red as I could possibly see this season. I've been all in on rooting for the Bulls. I'm still a little behind on the basketball. But with hockey, baseball, and football, it's like I just love them all so much. I want to be a part of it. I want everyone I know to understand how cool it is. It's storytelling, and you can't tell the story without some of the greatest players. The MLB's all-time hit leader and the MLB's all-time home run leader are not in the hall of fame and that would be like gretzky and ovechkin not being in the hockey hall of fame 20 years from now is that or like or if tom brady wasn't in the hall of fame or you know just because tom brady like i don't know nobody really has anything again oh because of deflate gate or something you know stuff like that um kept him out of the hall of fame it's not going to keep him out of the hall of fame you know why because the pro nfl writers are not stupid they're not stuck on their old ways from back in the day we've adapted you know we it's so clear that people like offense. So what did, you know, one thing baseball got right. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski leads the league with a 303 average. They're like, that's not high enough. Let's lower the mound. Oh, hockey's boring without a, a two-line pass. Okay, let's get rid of the two-line pass. Oh, basketball, let's add a, let's add a whole-ass line where a shot will be worth a whole extra point. Or, you know, what's the sport I didn't mention? Uh, I did basketball. Basketball, baseball. football. Oh, yeah, football. All the rules tailored towards the quarterback and how to score more points now. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it is what it is. I hope they figure out a way to correct it and get some of these crusty-ass people who are just angry at life from submitting ballots with nobody on it because you just don't deserve to vote if you're not going to vote. And it's just lazy. It's it's old school. It's adapt. We got to adapt as a culture. We need to adapt in every way, shape, and form in sports to me, are right there with it. And I wanted to get back to the Hall of Fame thing, visiting it really quick, though. They're kind of like in a triangle. You can go to Cooperstown in New York. You start there. Then you head on up to Toronto and see the Hockey Hall of Fame. And then you just roll back down to Canton to see the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then you're two states away from Illinois. So you you can really make a nice little triangle if you're from Illinois or if you're really from anywhere, you could start in one and make – if you're living in Ohio, you can start in Ohio, do pro football, then move up to Toronto, over to New York, back to – you know. so I think the little triangle of the three Hall of Fames I like I think would be a lot of fun to do. Donna, my wife, has been bugging me. She wants to go to the NHL Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame, so uh, you've just given me a great idea on how to pitch it to her. Hey, not only that, but we can stop here and stop there, so she'll be into that. That's great, man. Absolutely. Yeah, one other thing real quickly is, you know, 
these guys, I've been accused of being an ageist. So I don't want that old guy and so forth. And it's not about somebody's age. It's about somebody's old attitudes. Things yeah. change, as, as you so eloquently uh, said. And so if, if you are in your 60s and 70s and 80s and you think that things should be done like the way they were done in the 60s and 70s and 80s, then no, that's not going to work. You've got to open your mind because the world is changing and, and, and in many respects changing for the better. Absolutely. People were mad about Tony La Russa being hired by the White Sox because he's old. Okay, well, Tony La Russa did kind of come in this season and show that he's not going to act like a typical – he's not going to act like he acted 30 years ago. Right. He, You know, Luis Robert was able to wear his chains, and mm -hmm. Jose Abreu was able to have his little facial bun coming out of his chin. Like, you know, Eloy's able to wear his – thing half unbuttoned like that would have never flied with tony la Russa 15 years ago but right like that guy proved he can adapt now you can critique his x's and o's in terms of baseball coaching all you want go for it. pitching decisions whatever mm -hmm. but like dusty baker was dusty baker and tony la Russa played against each other in the american league division series these are two guys in their late 70s who are on the back nine of their lives let alone their careers and so I i'm with you on the whole ageist thing it's not ageist to adapt to it's not because you're old nobody wants you it's because you act you know you haven't adapted and right. one comment i want to address in the thing somebody said uh boston roid users yeah are better than san francisco roid users right. it, it is funny to me because like i don't think the cities have anything to do with it but david ortiz was big and smiley and everyone loved him and he's like hey big poppy hey big poppy and then, you know, Barry Bonds was kind of a prick. So if Barry Bonds would have been Big Poppy or, like, had some kind of sweet nickname, like the San Francisco Killer or something cool like that, and David Ortiz was a prick, would roles be reversed? The fact that I believe that the answer to that question is yes really pisses me off. Interesting. Man, this has been a great show, and I really appreciate you inviting me to be on. Uh, you could have had so many other people, but you invited little old me, and it's been fun. Uh, I, um, again, uh, can't tell you how happy I am with the work that you and your brother and Frankie do, do on Bar Down, and then uh, the fact that every week here on Crosstown Crosstalk with not anything to report on much in the world of baseball, you always manage to fill an hour plus with great sports commentary, having great guests. I'm, I'm the last of those great guests you've had because <laughs> you've had some good ones, including Liam Hendricks. Come on. <laughs> Does it get any better than that? <laughs> I mean, I, I would put you number one over everyone because there's a <laughs> few people in life, family included, that have done as much for me as you have. That's and I can't mean. thank you enough for that. So, of course, I want to have you on my show. We should do this again. We should have a little bear report all the time. I love talking about the bears. You know, I appreciate doing work for the show. It's not work to me. People say, oh, you know, you it's not work to me. I wake up whenever I want and I write about sports. Like, it's just so much fun. I, I love it from the bottom of my heart. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. It was a great episode. The chat. When Aldo shows up, the chat explodes like nobody's business. That's one thing you have on me is incredible will of people just wanting to talk to you like, no, this was get this on that was, level. they wanted they wanted to hear us talk about the bears. That that's what it was yeah. about. And really appreciate yeah. everyone that came into the chat room. We had almost a hundred people interacting in the chat room at the top of at the prime part of the, the show. And uh, you guys should all just make this an appointment every Thursday afternoon. 
Vinny will be here giving you baseball news. And not only that, he'll also give you other sports and pop culture news. And it's always, always fun. And also, don't forget to watch Bardown on Wednesday afternoons because that is one of my favorite shows ever in the Bar Bardown, uh, excuse me, Barroom Network uh, history. And we have done a lot of different shows in our history over uh, – what is it? Over 100,000 episodes we've done since 2016 when we started podcasting. Uh, so it's it's uh, we've we've got a, we've done a lot. And uh, for me to say that Bardown is one of my favorite shows of all time is, uh, I, in my mind, it's a pretty damn good compliment because we've had some talented people here. Absolutely, it's much appreciated. Me, Joey, and Frankie, we we put a lot of thought into it. We get kind of angry. We do what we do and talk about fun stuff talk about the weather talk about bagels and cream cheese or soup and what's our favorite soda like you know just anything to kind of lighten the mood it my taco analysis is spot on i could get into the chorizo or the el pastor you, you want to talk about tacos you guys know where to find me but you know it's not i'm not going to say it's not fun to be a human right now but you know the last couple of years have been really hard for a lot of people yeah. and if i can do anything to help make people feel better in their daily lives or give them a couple hours away from the bs of covid or social division or whatever it is that's going on out there that's troubling you if i can help bring a little bit of a smile here i am there you go great job brother. absolutely it was a great show i thank everybody for tuning in uh, especially the people in the chat, even you, Don, even though you somehow think the Detroit Lions are better than the Chicago Bears. If there's one team in pro football that has been significantly worse than the Chicago Bears, who have been awful, they have been awful, the Chicago Bears. There is no doubt about it that the Chicago Bears have been awful. But if there is one team that has been significantly worse, it is the Detroit Lions. And I'm not going to rip on the city of Detroit. I actually enjoyed my visit there earlier in November. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. But Detroit is not better. You know, the Hawks are better than the Wings. Well, not this year. But most years, the Hawks are better than the Wings. And, you know, as Skyler put in the chat, we'll end it on that. You can't spell L without Lions. Make sure you're following at Barroom Network on Twitter. Make sure you're following at Vinny underscore Parisi on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you.